This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Fly ball and back in the deep right center field. Lorenzo King. Got you covered with the best in the business. Deep down the left field line, it's gone. Manny Machado breaks it open with a three-run shot. With veteran play-by-play voice Josh Lewin. A slam ball game. And MLB insider John Heyman. His numbers would look so much better if there weren't guys compiling 600 home runs. Each week will feature a comprehensive look at Major League Baseball, the biggest stories, and a breakdown of the divisions leading up to the 2019 championship race. Center, way back. See you later. It's all right here on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Alongside the highly respected baseball insider John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. Each week, we bring you insight into the top storylines across Major League Baseball. We'll get you a rundown of the happenings in every division. We'll bounce right from one to the other. And all of our episodes, will get a chat with some of the best baseball voices around the country. We've got Bob Nightingale on the national front this week. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times will walk us through the latest from the always entertaining Tampa Bay Rays. Big Time Baseball is part of a radio.com, which allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge. Anytime, anywhere. Listen to over 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts. This is one of them, and we're very glad that you found it. So, John, as usual, no uh, platitudes, no how was your weekend. We just rev the engine <laughs> and go. Although, for the record, I hope your weekend was terrific. Uh, managers on the hot seat in the NL East. This seems to be a weekly theme 
And the Nationals almost turned a corner this weekend, it seemed. They're, they're getting healthier. They came close to getting uh, two out of three from the powerhouse Cubs. They almost rallied Sunday night to get that done. So does that lessen the noose around the neck of Davey Martinez? Yeah, I think it might. I mean, it's a managerial roulette, and uh, they're playing it. I'm going to head over to City Field in a little while, and uh, it is Martinez and Callaway who are most on that hot seat. And I think in Callaway's case, uh, we can call it a hot seat. And Martinez's seat may have cooled off a little bit, but uh, I'm not going to say that he's in the clear. Uh, Callaway uh, it does look to be day-to-day, and that's a very bad sign. I, I saw that Mike Puma from The Post and uh, Matt Eolt from uh, the Bergen Record and some other people came out on Saturday night and said that Callaway will not be fired. And I heard yesterday that he's not going to be fired today. When you start to give the managerial day-to-day roundup, I, I think you're in, <laughs> you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. And, you know, some people have suggested to me, not in the organization, but outside who've heard things, that he is in big trouble, whether you want to call it dead man walking, which I've heard. I, th- I think that's kind of a rude term, but I did mention it just now. Uh, he's in a tough spot, and, you know, I, it's obviously not really com- completely fair to Mickey Callaway, terrific guy, respected in the clubhouse, coaches like him, players like him. I, I think they had to expect there'd be a learning curve. He was a pitching coach in Cleveland. He's from the South. He's not from New York. Uh, managing in New York, it's a different uh, animal. It's not easy. And uh, there certainly is going to be a learning curve, and it's a work in progress, and he's still working on it. And at this point, it doesn't look like he's going to get a lot, a lot of time. He's okay today. He's okay on Monday as we speak now, but uh, we don't know right. how long that's going to be. It's really interesting, though, because somebody could save their bacon at the other one's expense. I mean, if somebody wins the first yeah. three of this series, the, the other guy might get fired because of it while the Absolutely. other guy saves his butt. The Mets lost two of three, John, to the Nats last week, and they didn't face Scherzer or Strasburg. And they just got swept by the Marlins. The Marlins hadn't swept anybody in 70 series. So just kind of putting that out there. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, uh, I didn't heard that. Right? Wow. Yeah, it, it's pretty stark. And, and the questions are, are decent. I mean, you know, Tomas Nito is not catching Jacob deGrom. And you look at the numbers, he should be catching Jacob deGrom. Uh, why won't Callaway take a stand on Robinson Cano? I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of things that, and I like Mickey very much, but that, that there's a, I mean, things that just kind of get pointed out in neon when you're 20 and 25 and supposed to be 30 and 20. You were around the team for quite a long time, every day, even more than I am. So uh, you, you certainly have a good perspective on on things and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's been any one terrible thing. I mean, you could point to the Cano situation. You could uh, look at uh, the Nito not catching DeGrom, as you said. But uh, it's I think that series is was just a real killer to lose three straight to the Marlins, a team that had come in at 10-31 and 31 on pace to break right. the 1962 Mets uh, record for ineptitude with 120 defeats. Uh, and to lose three and to do it like that, where you have Alcantara shutting them out with 80-something pitches. And, yeah, well, uh, no, no runs in 19 innings. Yeah, incredible. Uh, and, and Lopez uh, with a one-hitter. Uh, I mean, they were doing nothing, and they just sh- showed no spark uh, whatsoever. And, I mean, the Marlins, obviously, I'm not saying people don't know, are the doormat of that division. The division is not what we thought it was going to be, but the Marlins are the clear doormat, and you've got to take advantage. It's one thing the Yankees have done so well over the years, but uh, uh, I think that really just shined a spotlight on it, and it's clear that, uh, you know, Callaway is in a situation right now where 
Some people are going to say it looks like he's being strung along or, uh, you know, it's just a bad situation where the focus, the total focus, fair or not, is on the manager. I, I hope Mickey saves it for himself. Great guy. I hope they turn it around. But I, I got to ask you, John, would a Joe Girardi or a Buck Walter or a Dusty Baker, a veteran guy like that, ever be willing to consent to, to accept that team's commitment to chaos and nonsense as it's perceived? Yeah, I've heard that speculation that uh, there'd be a lot of people who wouldn't want that job, and I'm not sure that that's true. Uh, I personally don't think that's going to be the way that they go just because they're going to choose to go with Jim Riggleman, who's the obvious interim. He's an all-time interim manager, uh, did it with many, many teams, and and did it very nicely. Uh, You know, he's not going to steal the back pages. He's not going to, you know, excite the fan base probably, but in midseason, it's hard to... Uh, bring in a, a veteran manager, uh, particularly ones that you mentioned that have those kind of names, a Girardi, a, a Showalter, a, a Dusty Baker, uh, even a John Gibbons, guys who are going to want to install their system in the middle of the season. It just isn't done. I know this is rare where you see four, five, six guys out there without jobs who have uh, a pedigree, uh, great resumes like Showalter and like Girardi, uh, but I, I think it's not done for a reason that's simple, which is it's easier to take someone on the staff who knows what's been going on since spring training and uh, you know maybe make a tweak here or there and doesn't overhaul, overhaul things. So I'll be shocked if it's not Jim Ringleman, Riggleman, who's the interim. I, you know, at this point, I'll be surprised if Mickey lasts several more weeks. As a matter of fact, at this point, I, I got to be honest, and uh, I'll be even more surprised. And I know I've seen the speculation that Mickey's only staying uh, today, tomorrow, the next day because they're looking. Uh, you know, to me, that that'd be surprising. And beyond that, you know, Joe Girardi made four million dollars a year. Uh, with the Yankees. I, the Mets will be paying Callaway. I, I know it's only about a million dollars a year, but uh, I, I just don't see that happening. I don't, I, I'd be shocked if they, I, I don't want to say shocked, surprised if they, they brought in a, a Yankee, a Girardi or Showalter. No knock against them. Obviously, the Yankees have a great history. Showalter's got a great record. Uh, Girardi won a World Series in 2009, but uh, I just, I'm just not seeing that happening. It's a frustrating time for all concerned. Todd Frazier yelled at a fan on his way off the field the other day, uh, which kind of segues, and I hope you don't mind. I'm going to jump all the way across to the NL West, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, talking about a fan getting yelled at or or perceived to be getting yelled at. And this was not McDowell back in 1995. The the Yankee flipper is right with the New York Cowboys. (laughs) Had fun with that, right? This was not Albert Bell. This was not Reggie Smith from back in 1981. But earlier this week, Ian Kinsler uh, in San Diego crossed home plate after a game-winning home run for the Padres, and he proceeded to shout a rather profane message for either the fans of San Diego who have been riding him or, as he says, simply to rev the engine of his teammates. And, and this message of profanity, and we will be careful even on a podcast, it is, um, it's a song by CeeLo. It, it sounds vaguely <laughs> like the word vacuum. And uh, uh, in, in the movies years ago, Ron Burgundy told San Diegans to do this exact same thing, and he lost a very lucrative gig at Channel 4 because of it. So Kinsler, I, I should point yeah. out, is the son of a, a prison warden. Uh, he's always been known as a tough guy, hard-nosed teammate. He says he was just trying to fire up his troops. 
What do you think that was? And I liked your clues, by the way, as to what he said. That, that was ingenious on your part. Well, I, I tried You're... to leave it vague, yeah. <laughs> You're right. It wasn't Jack McDowell uh, flipping the, the bird as he walked off the mound in the Yankee Stadium. Uh, it didn't attract that sort of attention. Of course, it's San Diego, and that's what makes me question the whole thing. I, I do like Ian Kinsler. I, I like him very much. You're right. He can be a tough guy, but, I mean, come on. If he's really a tough guy, it's San Diego, right? I mean, how much could they be riding him? This is not Philadelphia. He should be able to handle it a little bit better than that. And I understand him saying he's firing up the team, and that may be part of it. I'm not saying he's lying about it. But, uh, you know, I to me, he, sh- he shouldn't have gotten to that point where the San Diegoans upset him that much. Because people in San Diego, and, I, and I've been there many, many times, they're generally pretty happy people. They've got the beach. The weather's perfect. It's wonderful downtown. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not there every day, but I'm not imagining them uh, going nuts on him and swearing at him day in and day out. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I'm well, so, no, I was, nobody, nobody's I was picketing. Su- nobody's making signs. Yeah, I mean, no, I, but, I was, but you know. Yeah, I was surprised when I was I sat in the bleachers in Anaheim one time, and boy, that was a tough crowd. That's tougher than Yankee Stadium bleachers, if you can believe it. You wouldn't think so, but to me, San Diego, come on, it can't be that bad. You know, you gotta you gotta be able to take what San Diego dishes out. Well, let, let's keep it nice. Let's keep it in, in places where they, uh, they they tend to treat their, their people kindly. Let's go to St. Louis, talk NL Central here for a second, where, by the way, Yadier Molina leads Major League catchers in stolen bases. Got three of them. Guy's like 105 years old. Probably not quite as old as you think, since you think he's 105, but he, he is a baseball savant. So, I, you know, don't be surprised by anything he does on the field. No, he I, he's incredible, and he always seems to get stronger as seasons go on, which is impossible for catchers. But he, here are the Cardinals. They're middle of the pack, and I think for one reason, John, it's because their pitchers have not been good. They're, they're dead last in the NL in wins above replacement. They're giving up a ton of home runs. Andrew Miller is not the only culprit, but he's, he's certainly on the list. Uh, what do you make of St. Louis? And, and I'll, I'll tag that with what do you make of Milwaukee right now because they're pitching – uh, you know, Zach Davies leading the National League in ERA until the other day. Uh, that's been a surprise. You got one team pitching a little bit better than expected, one a little uh, less well than expected. How does this all even out with Milwaukee and St. Louis? St. Louis has got some great young pitchers, but they, they got to get them healthy and get them going and get them in that rotation. Uh, Reyes and Martinez are top of the rotation starters, if healthy. Now, Michaelis hasn't been as good as last year. Waka's been a little bit up and down. Wainwright's nearing the back end of things. Um, you know, you look at that lineup, uh, it's decent. It's not blow-you-away type lineup. But, you know, I, I would think they're a good team. I, I don't think they're a fantastic team at this point. They did miss the playoffs three straight years, uh, came into this year. And, uh, you know, I, it seemed, the team is very much the same. They've added a few pieces. Obviously, Miller, who has not done it to this point. I mean, he certainly had injury questions in the past, and that may be affecting him now. Um, you know, I think they're they're a solid team. I don't think they're a great team. So I'm not stunned by, by St. Louis. I saw them at third place. Milwaukee, they, they surprise me every year with their starting pitching. I, I thought they needed starting yeah. pitching year two years ago. I thought they needed it last year. And both times they finished, I believe, in the top ten in starting pitching. Same this year. They, they themselves were not that thrilled with the way things were going. Went out and signed Gio Gonzalez, who's been fantastic for them, by and large, uh, for a song. Uh and uh, they had had him last year, and they knew that he's a better pitcher than people, other people seem to think. 
uh, Zach Davies uh, is pitching like an ace at 88 miles an hour. So uh, hats off yeah. to him for that. Incredible. And, you know, Milwaukee just surprises you from the pitching standpoint. Their lineup, fantastic. That's why I thought they'd win that division because I thought they would just outscore everybody. But uh, their pitching surprises everybody year to year, and I think we should probably stop being surprised by them. We'll get deeper into the National League in just a moment. Bob Nightingale will join us here at Big Time Baseball, Radio.com Sports presenting it. He's John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. Uh, let's go AL Central for just a second here, John. Your Minnesota Twins, you proudly picked, off to their <laughs> best start since 1970 here. Uh, their pitching's been terrific. Their catching's been even better. Twins catchers have more home runs in May than all Marlins players combined is a stat that I saw. So Well, that's uh, not that. Nelson, I mean, you're not going to brag about being yeah, the Marlins, but you're right. You're right. The whole team. That is true. <laughs> in, in meantime, Cleveland's not exactly tucking tail here. Shane Bieber just had a no-walk 15-strike game. Is this still a two-team race? It is a two-team race. And look, look the White Sox are doing better than we, we would have expected, but I, I don't think they're going to be there in the end. Uh, you know, I, I've been pounding my chest and uh, uh, being excited about my Twins pick. Obviously, it's not over yet. Uh, but uh, first of all, I wasn't the only one. Evan Roberts, uh, also an intercom guy uh, for WFAN, also uh, picked the Twins. So I don't know if we're the only two, but uh, we're nice. in the minority. Uh, so I give like him credit. Good. good man. Um, and you know what? I saw them late in spring training. Their offense was out hitting everybody in spring training. I know you don't go by spring training. If you did that, the Marlins won 11 in a row in spring training. You can't, can't really <laughs> go by that. And I, who, who nobody saw that Mitch Garver was going to be hitting home runs and, uh, that Castro was going to be hitting home runs and, uh, you know, they're getting a lot. Of, and Polanco is an MVP candidate almost, uh, at shortstop. I, you know, I don't think anybody saw that. And I think, you know, Cleveland, obviously was that was without Lindor for a while. Ramirez has not been what he was in the past. Uh, you've got the uh, pitching injuries to Kluber and Clevenger. So Cleveland's had some issues and they're not that far out of it. So I probably don't want to beat my chest too much at, to this point, but I, I do think Minnesota is an awfully good offensive team and, uh, I, I do think they will hang on and win that division. All right, before we get to Bob Nightingale, uh, just leaving it here in the AL, it's only six out of 15 teams with a winning record, and the Red Sox are barely on that list. Three of those six are in the AL East. The Yankees certainly are, are one of those. And and it just seems like, I mean, obviously, when they, when they get Judge and Stanton and Gregorius back, it's uh-oh. But LeMayhew, Ursula, they put those pinstripes on, and they just get to be better players. I don't know why it seems like that always happens, but the, the team is seventh in ERA this year, which, again, with all the injuries they've had, I never would have seen that coming. Is there something to that, John, where, I mean, could Kendris Morales throw on those pinstripes? He's the, the third number 36 <laughs> they've run out there in a stretch of 10 days, but he could put on those pinstripes and become the best version of Kendris Morales possible. It is possible. I mean, obviously, Kendris Morales is talented, and they looked at the analytics. Uh, there is, is numbers that you see on the surface, the batting average and OPS, not good, but if you looked at the hard hit rate and things like that, he, he looked like himself or, or maybe even a better version of himself. So, uh, you know, they've been in on the analytics for a long time. They have the most money, obviously. We know that. But they do a lot of smart things. Ursula, they got him for a song. Voight, they got him for a song. Herman, who's uh, been fantastic and looks like an all-star at this point, uh, he came in the Prado deal. And a lot of people didn't love that Prado deal at the time, but... 
you know, obviously the Marlins compounded it by giving Prado a $30 million contract afterward. But, I mean, that was a, it turns out to be a great deal for the Yankees just because Herman was kind of a, seen as a throne in there. So uh, Cashman and company do a very, very good job, and it's been interesting to watch them weather the storm of 13 injuries. So uh, pretty amazing on their part. All right, later on we'll talk to Mark Topkin about more out of the AL East. But coming up, Bob Nightingale to get us back to the National League. Along with John Heyman, I'm Josh Lewin. This is Big Time Baseball, presented by Radio.com Sports. Let's take a look around the game with one of our veteran baseball scribes. It's Bob Nightingale. Hi, Bob. On Radio.com Sports, Big Time Baseball. We continue Big Time Baseball from Radio.com Sports. Josh Lewin, John Heyman with you. And the great Bob Nightingale taking some time to join us we've already kind of zipped through some american league storylines we've hit on a few national league but wanted to do a deeper dive with bob we don't always start in pittsburgh i mean normally we'll do like a you know a big new york or la kind of thing but for a team that's been kind of 500 all year what what a fascinating run the josh bell has put together and Bob I, I know you've been following this a little bit and then Josh Bell is a guy that I think a lot of people are waiting on to to pop at some point he has exploded right now yeah and this is a guy who set a uh, nationally record for a switch hitter when he hit you know the uh was it 36 or 26 home runs this rookie year then last year went down at 12 and 62 he's about to lose a starting job and then he talked to David Freeze uh, before Freeze got traded Dodgers. He said, hey, what do you think about just going to Southern California, get away from everything, and uh, and work out? They said that's what he did. He went to uh, his agent, Scott Boris, went to his facility, worked out with a hitting guru named Joe DiCarlo, and spent all four months there. I think he went home for 10 days, and that was it. And now he's just stuck to one approach, and here he is, you know, with the uh, 14 home runs. Uh, got 44 ribbies on you know, time for the uh, major league lead and just carrying that offense. Uh, I mean, here's a team that they've had more players on the injured list than the Yankees, and their, their four games are 500. Hey, Bob, John Heyman here. Uh, here's another interesting team that you've tweeted about a lot lately is the San Francisco Giants. Two people in particular, holdovers from their glory years. I think they're removed from those glory years right now. and look like they are in need of a rebuild. I'm wondering if they're going to do it. But two guys I want you to touch on. One is Panda. You mentioned that you, you thought he was almost cut in, in spring training. And right now he's got a, an OPS of around 1,000. He's got the only player on the team with a war over one. I, I don't know. Is the guy just fantastic in San Francisco, terrible in Boston? It's very weird. The other guy, of course, is the guy we're going to be talking about throughout July, and that's uh, Madison Bumgarner. Do, do we really believe that he's going to be traded? To me, the Giants love to hold on to their stars, and I just don't know if they're going to quite get what they want to get for him. And my bet today, at least, is that they're going to hold on to him. What do you think? Well, with, uh, with Sandoval, John, yeah. I mean, Bruce Bochy was the one in the coaching staff fought tooth and nail to keep this guy. And he's been their best all-around player. Uh, he's been great. The fans still love him. Uh, you know, he's a freebie since the Red Sox are still paying his salary. So he's been great for them. Uh, I don't think they would trade him, but he would have some value as, a, uh, as an extra guy for sure. In Baumgartner's case, I just think with the new regime, John, it's just uh, the philosophy changes. I mean, they want to rebuild, and you got to rebuild by trading Baumgartner. Uh, his trade value was down last year and during the winter, but now it's uh, climbing up. He had about six teams watching him uh, in Phoenix the other day. 
know, he was still hitting 93 on the, uh, on the gun uh, and his hard first pitch. And so uh, he's getting closer back to the Baumgartner Bowl. You know, I don't think we'll still see the World Series Baumgartner, uh, but, but still a, a very good pitcher. So I think with Baumgartner and, and the guys in the bullpen with Will Smith and Tony Watson, uh, maybe Sam Dyson, uh, you know, you can start that, start that rebuild. So, but you're right, John. If they can't get what they want from Baumgartner, you know, if they want to, they can at least hold on to him and get a high draft pick next year. And staying in the NL West, Bob, if you don't mind, Arizona continues to surprise people. They're mashing lefties. They're humming along above 500. They got a better record than the Red Sox. Yeah, they're playing okay. They had a, uh, you know, stumbled in the homestand, Josh. They went four and six. You know, I want to say they played 20 of the next 26 on the road. So they're playing some nice baseball. And, you know, Zach Greinke, they were worried he might miss some starts uh, with a uh, stomach problem, uh, stomach strain, as you say, and, uh, and he'll be fine. And this guy, very quietly, is still, you know, pitching as well as ever. You know, he doesn't have that same velocity, but just such a sharp guy. I mean, every, everybody can learn from him. Uh, you know, he reminds you of Maddox, the way he sets up hitters and everything else. You know, I'm still not sure if somebody would be willing to take his whole contract. I doubt it. But I think it would take most of it now. And uh, it'd be interesting. If the Diamondbacks do fall the race, I would think, you know, he would go Robbie Ray and Greg Holland. I know you spent a lot of time in Arizona, so I, I wanted to follow up a little bit on that. On that. Uh, Granke, with the three years to go and over $100 million to go, yeah, that, there's definitely a question there. But what do you think Arizona's mindset is right now? I saw that Mike Hazen, the GM, had suggested they may add a pitcher, and I, I think that's accurate. But could they add a pitcher and then subtract Granke? They're kind of in the middle right now. They're in the middle rung. They're uh, close to contention, a possibility. I, I think they were thinking they would take a little bit of a step back this year. W- what do you think their head's at in terms of selling, buying, what are they doing? I still think they're going to sell, John, if they're on the race. You know, I think two years ago they wanted to sell, but they made the wild card, so they couldn't. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, they were planning to sell at this year's deadline, or, you know, or they would have kept a, a Goldschmidt and a Pollock and a, a Patrick Corbin. You know, they let those guys go. But the way they're hanging around right now, they, they are kind of no man's land. So not sure what to do. I, I still think they would like to uh, dump guys and start the rebuild in earnest. You know, let's be honest, and there's no way anybody's going to catch the Dodgers in the West. Just too good of a team. And I'm just not sure how much you really want to go for it just for a wild card spot. You know, when, let's face it, I mean, no one's as good as the Dodgers in the National League. The Cubs are probably the second-best team. Uh, I, I can't see the Diamondbacks getting past either one. Kind of working our way up the ladder towards L.A. in that division. I want to ask you about the Padres, who need starting pitching because, you know, they, they've got some soft-throwing lefties, Casey Lauer, Mark Havich is already back down now to work on some things. they got a fourth lefty who's a converted reliever, Matt Strom. Doesn't it seem like adding just a, a veteran guy, if not Keuchel, I, I don't know who else it would be, but, uh, you know, knowing that A.J. Preller was with the Rangers when they brought in Cliff Lee, uh, back in 2010, just kind of from out of nowhere. Is it possible that San Diego would, would get inventive? They're not going to bring back James Shields, I understand that. But is there something inventive they could do or would do? I would think they want more of a young starter, you know, that can uh, hang around for a few years. You know, like, like a Robbie Ray type, you know. You still have him in the control you know, a year after this one. Uh, you know, I, I would think someone that's just a couple of years, you know, like a Trevor Bauer, another interest in him. 
But, you know, I can't see anywhere in the world the Cleveland Indians let a Bauer go, and they're still a dangerous team. Uh, you know, hey, a guy like Gio Gonzalez, who had been perfect, uh, uh, Wade Miley, so many teams whipped on Miley. You see what he's doing now for the Houston Astros. So they may have to wait for a while and just grab one of these guys uh, from the teams that dump. I, I don't see him paying big-time money, and I can't see him giving up a ton of prospects just because they spent so many years trying to get these prospects. Bob, you're, you're a National League guy, and the hot topic this week is the uh, the managerial situation with Mickey Calloway, and uh, obviously uh, Davey Martinez is still a bit of a question. Uh, there's been a little bit of talk on Don Mattingly, though I think they're going to give him the year. Uh, we've weighed in on this situation. Uh, where, where do you think it stands right now, particularly with Mickey? Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, obviously it's not all Mickey's fault. Who knows how much of it is. But, you know, every time we talk about a manager firing, you know, it's never really all the manager's fault, but they're always the, the fall person. Uh, you know, like Mickey, like uh, even with Mattingly in, in Miami, you know, these guys were inherited. Uh, they weren't their guys. So uh, I would think, you know, with the fans getting, you know, so upset and everything in New York and them underperforming, you know, I think unless there's a dramatic change, you know, you'd be, have to be the guy that goes. They still owe him $2 million. You know, not that that's a, a huge thing in today's world. But you wonder if they would go the interim route, you know, and say, let's grab Jim Brigham. Brigham did a very good job for the Reds last year on, on an interim basis. And this would be the most, uh, by the best team he's ever had when you throw in, you know, what, what he had with the Padres and the uh, the Cubs and the, and the Reds, uh, the Nationals way back when. So I think Brigham would be, if they're going to make a move, I think Rugman would be a very good choice. He's carved out quite a, a real uh, cottage industry for himself. He's like interim manager for hire, which he's just kind of gone all around baseball being exactly that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think he'd be a, a perfect guy to plug in there if they needed to. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. All right. We got a lot more still to do. Mark Topkin will join us in just a moment talking Tampa Bay Rays and the AL East. It's big-time baseball from Radio.com Sports. He's been covering baseball for the Times over the past four decades while on the Rays beat for their entire existence. And there's a shot into right field. That's got Carey gone. Home run for Meadows. And the Rays take the lead 2-1. to one. It's Mark Topkin on Big Time Baseball. Big Time Baseball from Radio.com Sports. Josh Lewin, John Heyman with you. And the guy that's been spending time in New York with the Tampa Bay Rays, Mark Topkin, joins us currently. We're talking his coverage and uh, covering guys like Brandon Lau. I I don't really mean to start there, Mark, but I guess I'm kind of wandering there. It's Lau, not low. It's Lau like wow. Uh, which is kind of the the, uh, the jaw-dropping thing he's brought to this uh, here in 2019. I know he had a patch where he was something like 10 strikeouts and 13 ABs. He steered out of that skid, had a nice weekend there for the Rays in New York. What's it like covering him and some of this other young talent? Yeah, it's been interesting, and, and you're, I actually use that same uh, little reference point in my head that it's Brandon Lau is in wow. I think the Rays put it in the guide as, as now, but I've, I've kind of switched that over to wow. Cause watching this guy play and hit is amazing. He's, I mean, he's listed at five ten and one eighty five, and we've we've kind of had some friendly jousting back and forth. Cause I, I told him, I don't think he's actually either. And I think I'm probably right on that. And uh, just a, a product maybe of the newer age of hitters, not, not as much, 
uh, the launch angle school, but just the timing everything up. And, and when you watch him hit a home run and he hit his 10th yesterday at Yankee Stadium, it, it, it's like a little symphony, the way everything moves in the right direction. And, and uh, he gets the backspin on the ball, and it just kind of rises and gets out of there. He hit a ball into the 500 level in Toronto earlier this year, which is something that I think only three left-handers had done. Austin Meadows actually did it in the same game, which was weird. But So he's really interesting. And, um, you know, you mentioned some of the young talent they have. I mean, some of these guys came up last year and, and saw them a little bit. And, you know, they're, they're kind of young, hungry. Uh, they're, they're very accessible to the media. There's lots of good things about them. They don't make a lot of money, which is why they're with the Rays, although Lau did sign a deal this spring. So it, it's kind of what the Rays were shooting for. They you know, kind of realized their farm system was, was pretty weak after the, the Friedman and Madden departures after 2014, and they made a concerted effort to rebuild it between drafting, making some trades for lower-level guys, and, and their goal was to get them to the big leagues at about the same time and then try to reopen a window of contention, and this is potentially year one of that. Hey, Mark, John Heyman here. Uh, you mentioned uh, Lau. That was a, another great deal that they made to, to sign him up. I couldn't believe it when they did. Uh, it didn't seem like he had much of a track record, and here they signed him, and it looks uh, very, very smart. But I'm going to ask you about another smart deal that they made. And at the time, we raised our eyebrows. We couldn't believe what they were able to get for Chris Archer. Now, they had made a, a good signing with Archer, getting him under market, raising his value beyond what he had done on the field. But to end up with Meadows and Glass now, uh, two terrific young talents, uh, to me was incredible at the time. Uh, did they surprise themselves with that trade? And uh, are they those two players exceeding expectations. And of course, you got to ask on glass. Now, how is he doing to start at the back? I mean, glass now was off to a great start. And in fact, you know, arguably the best pitcher in the, in the majors, maybe depending on how you looked at it statistically, you know, through the first uh, month and month and a half or so, but felt something in his elbow uh, last weekend, about 10 days or so ago, they seemed very encouraged that it wasn't, you know, Tommy John level or, or anything close to that. It wasn't surgical. It's something that they think is going to be okay with rest. Um, you know, he should start playing catch this week, which will probably be the most determining factor. Obviously, he has had a huge impact, would be a huge loss either way. And just going back to your question, John, it's a great question, and it's one that, you know, you can always take snapshots of these trades at different times. And, you know, initially last year, Meadows was kept at AAA, and Glasnow was, was very erratic. But the Rays had a, had a vision, which was Pittsburgh had kind of given up on him. I mean, they kind of shuttled him into a middle relief role and, changed stuff with him a couple times. And I think, you know, they were frustrated with him. He was frustrated with them. So the Rays just said, you know what, come over here, you know, August 1st, whatever it was, and just start the rest of the year. We'll figure this out as we go. Let's see what works best. And then he went, you know, okay, some good ones and some bad ones, came into spring training, had arguably one of the worst springs ever, 0-5 with a 10 ERA. So all the people who say spring training doesn't matter, all those truthers are now going to have a very valid argument because then he turned the switch and, and, you know, was tremendous once the season started. So it, was it, is it as big of a heist as it looks like? Certainly right now it does. I mean, Meadows is one of their best offensive players. He, too, was hurt. He just came back a week or so ago. You know, the batting average, the home runs, the on-base percentage, the mature at-bats for a guy who hasn't been in the big leagues very much, all really impressive. Last night we talked about, and then the, the the player to be named was this kid Shane Boz, who was a first round pick, who's working his way up at, from Class A right now with the Rays, and you know big power arm who can hit you know high nineties, maybe a hundred. So they they feel pretty good about that trade right now. Mark Topkin visiting with us from the Tampa Bay Times. Another member of that rotation I want to ask you about, Mark, is Charlie Morton, who obviously has been terrific, but he's been down on himself because he's 
He's walking more than he's used to. I think it's 25 now this year. Overall, though, this has got to be another one that feels like a gold star, right? Yeah, and it was interesting because, you know, like like John said, you know, when they made the Archer trade, you, you kind of thought they were going to deal him at some point. It was a question of, you know, where, who, for what. Charlie Morton, it was, they don't usually shop on the top, you know, shelf in the free agent market. And this was a guy who was going to get out there if Houston didn't resign him and, and probably get some pretty decent money. Uh, and for them, it turned out to actually be the largest contract they've ever signed a player to annual, $15 million a year, two years. And I think they would tell you, in fact, the owner, Stu Sternberg, saw him during the weekend series at Yankee Stadium, and he said he's been pretty much worth every penny. I mean, they feel like what he's done on the field, and he's, he's a great mentor. He's a mentor to Snell. He was a great mentor to Glass now and will continue to be. And, you know, he's one of these guys that's just – he literally has been there and done it all. He's been hurt. He's been good. He's been bad. He's won a World Series. He got the final out. I mean, he's just done anything you could do in this game. And I think in that clubhouse, especially with so many young players, and it's a little different. The pitcher-player relationship maybe isn't as much. But at least among the pitchers, I think he's a great uh, stabilizing force and a great influence. Mark, I will agree with you. Charlie Morton, terrific for a team. And shop, talk about shopping at, at a high level. They, they've been connected, shockingly enough. And you mentioned that they did sign Morton to $15 million a year deal. Uh, they've been connected, uh, shockingly enough, to Kimbrell most prominently and a little bit to Keuchel. Uh, where do you stand on this? Do you, do you think that's just dabbling, making calls, covering their bases, or are they a legitimate contender to sign one of these two terrific uh, remaining free agents? Yeah, it's interesting, John, and I, I think if, if I was going to guess, I would think they are much more likely to sign Kimbrell than they were to sign Keuchel. Now, how likely they are to sign Kimbrell is going to depend on a lot of things. And as we get past this, you know, if this carries into the next couple of weeks and it gets past the, the free, the draft pick compensation, if that goes away, that makes him more appealing to other teams. I actually threw something out in my Sunday column thing. If the Rays are serious about Kimbrell, the time to strike might be now before that field opens up when the, the draft pick compensation is stripped away. As far as Keiko, I, I mean, I, I know they have interest in every player. So that's a very blanket generic statement to make but if they are confident glass now is coming back on the reasonable timetable which even with a slight setback let's say it's by the all-star break I, I don't think i see that happening now if they know more about glass now situation plus brett honeywell who they expected to be a second half guy to help them at some point has had a setback in his tommy john recovery too so some of that depth is stripped away a little bit, but if, if you know if there's some money that's going to be spent and we were just going binary between those two, I would think Kimbrell fits a better need for them and, and maybe even contract-wise would work out better. Last one for you, Mark. We just passed the one-year anniversary of learning what an opener is, and is it so much of a new normal now that, that you're relieved that you don't have to go on shows and explain it to everybody? I mean, is it now so embedded in our baseball psyche? It, it's funny you say that because, and I'm, I'm not picking on these guys, but the, I guess the Marlins broadcasters were having a really hard time with it when the Rays were down there last week. I heard from a couple people via Twitter and an email or two that they just they didn't quite get it. And I think the American League teams are pretty familiar with it now. Certainly the players are, the managers are. You're seeing so many teams do it now. Pittsburgh trotted out over the weekend, or the Yankees have dabbled in it a little bit. And it's and the, the vocabulary, the nomenclature, everything is, is all a little different. I mean, Oakland calls the second guy the bridger. Somebody else was suggesting calling him the headliner. So there's, 
it's a lot of different phraseology, but it, it, it's funny. Kevin Cash got a lot of questions this weekend. It was the one-year anniversary. And by the way, no one got it a cake. I, I really think the opener is going to feel neglected because no one got it a cake. But, you know, he, he said, I don't see why we have to keep talking about this so much. But I, I think that's kind of naive. It's going to continue to be talked about. When you, when you come up with something and it seems to work and it gets copied by a lot of other teams, it's going to get talked about. Mark Topkin, thank you for the info, my friend. Uh, travel safe, be well, and we will talk to you soon. All right, guys, anytime. Beautiful. Mark Topkin, always a pleasure with the Tampa Bay Times. A huge pleasure to get to John's Insider Nuggets. We'll go around the diamond in just a moment. Dribbled in front of home plate. That's fair. Wallet goes to second for one, and Cano is still at home plate. They'll throw to first for the double play. What are the latest rumors around the game? Josh Lewin and John Heyman go around the diamond on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. It is Big Time Baseball presented by Radio.com Sports. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. And if you're following us along iTunes, uh, feel free to go ahead and Put that five-star Yelp review up there for us, or whatever they call it, because we'd love to, to have that as part of our portfolio. Appreciate that very much. So, John, let's get into this kind of insider segment as we've come to, to know it, where we get you just kind of bearing your fangs and, and letting us know <laughs> what, what could and could not be happening in the coming week. We've talked already on the podcast about the Mets a lot Mickey Calloway and, and Robinson Cano basically twice in two days just deciding not to run. It's always a bad optic, but especially when your team is scoring zero runs over a stretch of 19 innings against the freaking Marlins, that is a horrible <laughs> optic. So uh, w- what about Cano and Calloway and how that dovetails? Yeah, I mean, Robinson Cano, very likable guy, liked in the clubhouse, liked by the reporters, understand it, but... I mean, uh, he's done this for other managers, but this is the one that really could be affected. Uh, Mickey Calloway is in a situation right now where it's a very tough spot for him. Uh, he knows that Cano really has more power than he has, and it's, it's very difficult to really lay down the law. And I, I certainly got it the first time when Cano uh, lost track of the outs, and, you know, that'll happen. It's not good. Uh, and I got uh, Callaway, talked to him, and didn't really come down on him. But then the second time, I think, where he didn't run and he thought the ball was going foul, although it was never foul. It was on the it was on the on home plate and then rolled into to the line. So uh, so he misjudged two things, and you know I think at that point uh, Callaway, and in a tough spot again, uh, probably probably should have. Uh, benched Cano because to do it twice against the Marlins when things are going poorly, when your team's not hitting, he's not hitting. Let's face it, Cano has not lived up to his billing either. And uh, but the problem is Cano very close to the GM uh, Brody Van Wagenen, who was his agent, who got him the $240 million deal, who got him the trade over to the Mets. And so Cano's in a position where he's got five years, 50 million, uh, Callaway making a million, very little for a manager, particularly in New York. Uh, it's a tough spot. And Cano also very, very influential and popular, as I said, in that clubhouse uh, uh, with Rosario and other young players uh, on that team. And uh, it was just a, it's a tough spot for Callaway. And, and I think he, he didn't quite do the right thing. And I think, it, you know, in the end, I, I think either way he was going to be in trouble. And I think he's in trouble today. So you've talked about Callaway. We keep talking about Davey Martinez. Anybody else on hot seat watch that we're, that we're missing? 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure immediate watch. I, I don't think so. To me, Don Mattingly is going to be the manager for the year. Uh, he's blameless in what goes on here. Obviously, the Marlins are in a, a deep rebuild. It's not of his doing. He didn't make the trades. You know, all he can do is what he can do. And uh, he's a very patient guy for a superstar player, really amazingly so. I think he's the right guy for this team. But they're going to reevaluate after the year. And, I, yeah, obviously he's got some rapport with Jeter and Denbo from Yankee days. But, uh, you know, I think there's two sets of Yankee insiders with Jeter. You know, I, to me, one thing about Jeter is he, he wants to bring in people that he can trust. And, you know, it seems like they've all been Yankee people and particularly Yankee people he was close to. Mattingly was here. He is a Yankee person. Uh, I wouldn't say he was especially close to Jeter. It will be reevaluated at the end of the year. And it wouldn't be a shock if, if Jeter decided to go uh, in his own direction and bring in his own guy. Trey Hillman, already on the staff, uh, is close with Gary Denbo, who's uh, the right-hand man of Jeter. Uh, he's been a polarizing figure. Denbo has uh, this year, but uh, he's certainly the guy with the power at this point, even probably more so than Mike Hill, uh, the, the baseball president. And back to Mattingly, it's just so interesting to me that had he still been in L.A., look at that roster he would have had right now. I mean, you're, you're looking at the, the arguably the quarter-pole MVP in Cody Bellinger, who, by the way, got benched by the Dodgers against Chris Sale and David Price, games one and two of the World Series. And Ryu, 31 straight shutout innings, has got to be your Cy Young right now. This is a guy who didn't walk a single batter between April 20 and May 12. Where did this come from? <laughs> First, it was no walks for a long time. Now it's no runs. Incredible. Uh, you got to give Logan White credit here. Uh, he was the scouting guru who insisted on picking Bellinger. He knew him uh, from when Bellinger was a child. Uh, and, you know, the analytics guys in L.A. at that time saw the one home run as a senior in high school and said, what are we doing here? We can't spend $700,000 in a fourth-round pick on, on a guy who's supposed to be a power hitter hitting one home run. But Logan White knew him and picked him. And same with Ryu. Uh, Logan White was uh, ostensibly the guy uh, with, the, with the foreign picks. And Ryu from Korea was his guy, and, uh, you know, he was in incredible last year when he pitched. Uh, they gave him the qualifying offer, which is very smart. You could do that in L.A. It was, you probably wouldn't do that in a small market with a guy who pitched as little as he did. He happily took the qualifying offer because he wasn't beating it elsewhere based on the fact he missed most of the year, uh, and uh, it's been a very, very good decision by the Dodgers, and uh, uh, he's been amazing. You're right. He's the... Uh, Cy Young winner, Bellinger, the MVP, uh, barely over Yelich. I mean, Yelich has been incredible, but uh, Bellinger, I mean, the guy hitting 400, amazing. I mean, you would never think there'd be a power hitter hitting over 400 uh, into the middle of May. Uh, it's just an amazing, amazing feat. We've seen threats of 400 in the middle of May, but it's usually a, a guy who's been a 300 career hitter, or Todd Helton's case, also had the cores benefit, but usually it's a Tony Gwynn type, somebody like that, a uh, George Brett, somebody who has a, a history of batting over 300, not a guy who struggled against lefties and is now playing every day. Uh, right. And give give Bellinger credit. Give Bellinger credit from coming from that one home run in high school and from coming back from that uh, tough World Series that he had. Uh couple of tough World Series. Uh, he's the best player right now in the National League. Uh, you know, he's played the best of anybody. We're all going to say that Mike Trout's the best player in baseball until proven otherwise. But 
Uh, right now, Bellinger, we can give him the best player in the National League. No, I'd agree with you. And, and John, before we, we wrap it up, this is our, our annual or weekly end of the podcast Keuchel update. Uh, and at some point, <laughs> probably good. after the draft, I guess, we, we you know he's going to sign somewhere, I would think. But uh, we, we've come this far. We might as well ask you one more time about <laughs> Dallas Keuchel because we do it yeah, every I, podcast. We do. You're right. I mean, I get little snippets each week, and that's all I can give you because we don't know that it's close, and we don't know exactly what team. I can tell you, as you just said, uh, and as we have been saying the last few weeks, that uh, we think that it is quite possible that it will wait for the June 2nd draft when the uh, draft choice attachment goes away and his value goes up to teams. Uh, one thing I did hear is he was looking for the qualifying offer. I'm assuming that means prorated. So if you get half a year at the $17.9 million qualifying offer, that's basically $9 million, maybe $10 million they bump it up. Uh, so it doesn't seem like an outrageous amount of money. I think he wants to do a one-year deal. I don't think he's necessarily looking for a long deal, but you, of course you never know. But I think he'd like to reset and try it again and show what he can do. I mean, you look at the record, you would you would be shocked that this is going on. But you know what? Craig Kimbrell still out there, and he is a Hall of Famer, at least on a Hall of Fame track. So uh, you know, it's as one. A GM told me uh, a week ago it's a black mark for baseball, a black eye for baseball, actually, uh, to have these two great players still out there. Uh, it's very unfortunate, certainly for them, and it's not great for the game either. Uh, Keiko, Cy Young winner only three years ago, and Kimbrell, as I said, uh, potential Hall of Famer. Uh, but June 2nd, I think you're right. I think we're looking at that as the key date. And, and that's why I'm glad we didn't name this the John Heyman Updates Everybody on Keichel and Kimbrell podcast, because you're <laughs> right. As of, as, as of June 2nd, we, we would have had to change the name to something like Big Time Baseball, which is what we settled on anyway. John, thank you again, buddy. And uh, thanks to our guests, by the way, too. Mark Topkin stopped by and Bob Nightingale. Always a pleasure. You can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. And indeed, it is Big Time Baseball presented by Radio.com Sports. We appreciate your listening. For John Heyman, I'm Josh Lewin. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Josh Lewin and John Heyman will be back next week diving into the latest across Major League Baseball. See you This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.